Bro. 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 Listen to the kids. Bro. Bro. Listen to the kids. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 36 Chambers of Fatherhood show. I am your host, Scuba Bell, the Papa Dundada. Uh, <laughs> swing it over to my dude, my brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They call me S. Dot Hamilton, a.k.a. O'Hare Wallen. Pass it off to my right, Steve. What's happening? What's happening? Happy Father's Day. So much energy. Happy Father's Day. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Father's Day is a very underappreciated holiday. It's always a big deal for Mother's Day. I'm saying it. I want more than socks this year. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I now, can't. You, hold on, hold on. You'll appreciate what they told you, me they're going to do for me. You know what's crazy? I went to pick up my daughter from my... Wait, hold on. Before you get to that, sir, good sir, we're going to come right back to that. Let's let's introduce our, our oh, special yeah. guest today. Uh, <laughs> see that? See my apologies. <laughs> my apologies. But I do want to hear that story. The Ciroc VS is in my system. Let's go. Kamal, take it away, man. What's good? It's your boy Kamal Nuru, a.k.a. K. Zoe from ah. Ziggy, mm. a.k.a. Zoe Mega Millions from Mother's ah. Barbershop and Barber World TV. Holla talk. at your boy. Barber World TV. Him. Yeah, we got to talk about that. Yeah, That's dope. a lot of That's things dope. going down. So, yo, Sean. Uh, all right. Yeah, the whole thing what you were saying, Steve, about uh, Mother's Day and that, I mean, I mean, not Mother's Day, uh, you want more on Father's Day. Yes, so I, I want... think Father's Day is an underappreciated holiday. I don't think people remember it. They like, oh, it's Father's Day. Let me just, let me just go get a, a tie or some socks. Although I will say, as I get older, I do appreciate a good pair of socks, but I don't want to undercut my point. And underwear. And, well, here's my situation. I went to go pick up my daughter from... <laughs> Tell from... me why you mad, son. Yeah. <laughs> I went to go pick up my daughter from school. Right now, mind you, Mother's Day was last month. Why did they give me a bag? And God said, "Oh, here's here, Mr. Hamilton. Um, here's a bag for you. Inside, it's a shirt that we I give the. Uh, what size your wife wear?" I said, "She wears a medium." He said, <laughs> "Oh, this was a shirt that uh, we were supposed to give had given her for Mother's Day." I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Like, that was last month. Like, yeah. like the disrespect. I, I walked into a crib yesterday. I'm gonna make this very, very quick. They mm. were like, "So, what are we gonna do for Father's Day?" And then I was just like, you know, just came in. So I was like, "I, I have no idea. I, I, I don't know. We never know." And then they were. My, my wife said, "So." We were thinking, and I was like, all right, so I'm ready to hear this. I'm like, all right, so she said, we were thinking, and the boys and I agreed we could go see Incredibles 2. So I said, motherfucking man. Incredibles 2? Like, like, I want to see Incredibles 2. Yeah, I I begged for Incredibles 2. That's my movie. That's not theirs, you know? That came out when I was younger. You can't have that. But but come on, man. Mind you, most holidays are built around the women. And then the one holiday we have gets hijacked, kind of. Yeah, know what I mean? like we got a barbecue. I don't want a barbecue. All right. Oh, so, so I got one more story about this, and then we can move on from this. And I don't recommend anybody read any comments in Twitter because it's just not a good place. Yeah. But I'm watching some, uh, I don't want to call them social justice warriors because that's not a real thing. <laughs> um, but they were like, uh, Father's Day is disrespectful to all the single mothers out there. Man, shut up. I was mm. like, what? What? Yo, 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 yo. How about celebrating the good dads? Yeah, yes. man. Like, damn, man. Yo, yo, yo. Shut up. That's all I got to say to them. 
right, I'm done with my rant. Yeah, that's all, all right. I gotta um, say. Yo, shut up. But I do want socks though. <laughs> I'm just out there. All right. Save the socks. I'll get them off 125th Street for five Yeah, there you go, man. Yo, so come on, man. Yo, thank you for coming on to the show. Yes. We want to bring you on to the show because of many reasons. One of the reasons is because you are a black entrepreneur. You are a positive role model and influence. How you know I'm not African American? Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, all right, boom, all right. That is very true. So I did, I did the whole no, thing. That was a joke. No, no, no. But you're absolutely right. So you are a positive influence in the urban culture. Is that the more proper way? Is that the like the media? I'm just a positive influence amongst my people. Boom, bang, yeah, yeah. But, and, and others as well. And others as well. Absolutely. But you're a father. Yes. You're an entrepreneur. You're a barber. You're uh, you're part of the culture, man. Thank you for coming on to the show. I do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I love your show, and I wish you guys much success. For thank real. you, man. Thank you. Yeah, I think you. they need this platform. There's a lot of kids out there. I mean, the older guys can learn something from it too, you mm-hmm. know. So it's a to me, it's a great conversation, and I like that y'all found your lane. Thank yeah. you, man. Yeah. I really do appreciate yeah. that. I really do appreciate yeah, that. I'm, st- I'm, st- I'm still learning, man. I'm struggling. <laughs> but that's the, I, that's I, the I, point. I, of I feel show. like I'm struggling as a, as, as a father, man. That's the like, point of the show, this, man. That's yeah. the point of the show. Let it all out. Learn the, from you, others. You're not the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need. worth having is worth struggling. I need gems, man. But um, how you want to want to proceed? Proceed, what? proceed. So for the for the listeners involved, it may be a little tricky because uh, some audio got cut out. So now we're just gonna we're just gonna finesse and flow. So um, where are you from? Come on. Uh, well, I'll tell the whole story. I was born in Brooklyn, Fort Greene, Brooklyn, in Cumberland Hospital. Cumberland. Um, my my dad lived in Brooklyn. And my mom was a Harlem girl. She met my dad because she used to go to meet, see her uncle who lived in Brooklyn. Her uncle Eddie. And that's how they connected. And um, when my mom and dad broke up when I was about six, we moved back to Harlem. So mm-hmm. I was raised in Harlem, and they call Spanish Harlem, uh, First Avenue, on First Street, Metro North. Shout out to First Ave. There First you go. Ave. <laughs> mm-hmm, there you go. Yep. Now, um, in your home, um, was your father involved? Well, obviously, your father was not out of the picture, but he was out of the home. Did another gentleman step in? Yes. Um, uh, before we moved back, actually, with with um, now my stepdad um, and um, it was six of us. After you know him and my mom got together, they had one more child, and um, so I grew up in a, a big household. And um, you know, we had a mom, a dad, and I had four brothers and one sister. A lot going on. A lot going on. Yeah. How, how was your relationship with your stepfather? My relationship with my stepfather was really good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know some people might have different stories, but fortunately, um, my stepdad was a cool dude, mm-hmm. laid back dude. Um, and I, I learned from him. We had different personalities, but, you know, like, this is this is one thing I just would say. You might grow up with your dad. Like, my dad, and, you know, I have a relationship with my biological father. He's into football, basketball, stuff like that. My stepdad was into wrestling. So I grew, I, I grew up watching uh, uh, Georgia wrestling and all this kind of stuff. So, so that's just the, the difference when somebody with a totally different personality. Mm-hmm. You know, you were raised by the them. Era yeah, what? I mean, okay. yes, okay. Superfly Snooker and every, you know Rowdy what I'm saying, Rowdy. the Hogan era. Yeah. Before that, oh, I mean, wow. when they were, when, Hogan was eighty. I, 
Oh yeah, this was yeah. the '80s. You know, mm -hmm. it was it was on like a weird uh, cable channel back then. This is before it got really big. Mm, Bob mm -hmm. Backlund era, I, exactly. <laughs> Bob Backlund era. <laughs> mm -hmm. So my you know, my dad man. didn't, my stepdad didn't watch no basketball, baseball, none of that. Mm. Different, different guy. You listen to Sarah Vaughn and stuff like that. You know. Very good. Very <laughs> good. How did he take it when he learned wrestling was fake? Because I took that hard. I don't remember, honestly. I think maybe he knew. I mean, he was a grown man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was entertaining. <laughs> but I tell you what, he still enjoyed it. <laughs> That's what's up, man. That's what's up. Mm -hmm. So, um, with the stepdad, like, who was um, with with five, with six kids? Six, excuse me, six. Yeah. With six kids in the household, I know. I, I I pull out my hair with my two. I'm pretty sure you have your struggles mm -hmm. in your household. Who was the the fade giver? Who was giving out the fades, and who was just saying like, "All right, like, you know, everybody, calm down. Let's go on timeout." And my mom was a disciplinary. Okay. My mom, she whips mass, but my mom's also the oldest sibling, so my mom was experienced. You know, she had a, a internship on whipping ass. She used to beat <laughs> beat up her brothers and sisters up, from what I used to hear. Mm -hmm. So my mom was a disciplinary and. My my dad, he kind of like, you know, pulled her back when she was going too far. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't have that type of household when, where you say, um, don't make me tell your dad. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't even have to go to that. My mom's he, took he care of business. The, he was the communicator? I wouldn't say he was the communicator. He kind of was the bystander. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Damn, he didn't want to get caught either. He was just like, let me just look away. <laughs> so he, he didn't... Uh, Cause my wife, she always used to tell me this. And she still tell me. She said, "You don't interject enough." He was like, <laughs> he was that kind. It was no need to. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom's was official. Mm -hmm. You know, we feared and respected and loved her at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, so actually, he had it easy. But mm -hmm. but he, my my stepdad is actually a softy anyway. So. It wouldn't have worked. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not that kind of, you know, he even fake whipping some time on us and be like, just yell. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> my, mom, my mom used to do that. My mom used to Yeah, so. Used wow. to go through a whole little uh, rigmarole where as soon as you start crying, she would stop. Uh -huh. So it was just like, ah! <laughs> you right. know what I mean? You put the fake tears and then it's done. Right. Not the same thing. Yeah. Not, the, not the same. He wasn't built that way. Uh, he was cut from a different cloth, is yeah. what you're saying. My mom's a whip us to you wheezing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, fast forward, right? Mm -hmm. um, I want to go into your artist, your your artistry, Jiggy. Am I pronouncing it right? right? Because I know it was spelled differently. Yeah, Jiggy. Jiggy. Yes. Excuse me, Jiggy. A lot of people say Jig, say, what they say, Ziggy. Not not Ziggy. It's not pronounced Ziggy like Ziggy Marley. Mm -hmm. It's pronounced Jiggy. Jiggy. Yeah. So how did you? How did that transpire? Um, back in I would say like '88. Um, it's three amigos. It's Kamal, it's Steven, and Kevin. Amigos. That was that was yeah. We could have been. <laughs> <laughs> those are those are my two best friends growing up. You know, we we lived in each other's homes, spent the night, and it was us and. Um, Kevin brought the, the word Jiggy to, to the group, you know, like, you could tell, like, how he used it, that it meant fly, you mm. know, it meant fly. We were all, you know, young, budding fashionistas, and, you know, we rocked everything from, you know, Liz Claiborne or, to Willie Wed and Jabot and everything in between, and, you know, we was like, we Jiggy, you know, so we started calling ourselves that as just a little crew, and um, we kept the name when uh, Prancer and myself started dancing together. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, 
and so so far and so on and so forth when we actually started forming the group when we were a group at dancing we were jiggy when we were a group as recording artists we were jiggy so that's how the whole jiggy name came about it, at that time they were saying it and using it as a terminology of slang to mean fly okay and you guys caught a deal off of that who was your first <laughs> well what was the record label who was the record label i should say um well we we were dancing for special ed myself and prancer and when we went out on tour we also met yz you know and yz mm. was saying he needed dancers like us mm. so it were four of us initially and me and prancer broke off to dance with special ed so then we were able to give sound and tonga a, a, a job with YZ and we all four of us were on tour not mm. together but we went from dancing in the clubs and being featured in a few music videos to actually dancing for recording artists and going out on the road on tour mm. so that really like changed our life and our perspectives right. and I guess being around rappers and MCs you know we all started writing our own little rhymes and stuff and um, through, a, through a female friend her dad was a musician that um, was, I think, just had come off the road with maybe Stevie Wonder or somebody. You know, these guys used to play with Stevie Wonder and Shaka Khan and all these. And he introduced uh, Sound to a friend, and they introduced us to Van Gibbs and his son Salam Remy. And that's, we started working on our demo, and that was Salam Remy's first like uh, solo album that he produced on his own. Before mm. that. He had done tracks with Bobby Condors like Mac Daddy and uh, Super Cat, Ghetto Red Hot. He did a few things like that on his own. I'm sure he, I think he mixed some some records like for further back when his dad actually was, I think, the lead uh, promotion on Fat Boys. So his okay. dad went from musician to record executive too, where he worked in the promotion department, I believe. Dope, 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 dope. Now you, uh, you focus on Jiggy and you hung up your clippers. Now, at what point did you? Well, what were kind of like your your songs for Jiggy? Like, what were the okay. what was the what was the hot joints in the hood? Uh, we had two singles, and it was "Toss It Up" and "Raking in the Dough" slash the Uptown Bounce. Mm. How did that go? And if you, if very you, well. If you get, no, no, I mean, like, how did that go? As a, like, can you can you give some young dads, some young whoever that's listening, can you give them the rhythm? You know, without them searching on YouTube. Yo, give us something. Oh man, come on. This is we turn it into funk flex. Yo, come on, let's hear something. This no, is this is easy to find, Jiggy. Z H I G G E. Jiggy, toss it up, raking in the dough. You can mm -hmm. find it. It's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. You know, okay. but toss it up. Uptown bounce, right? Oh, to, yeah, toss mm -hmm. it up was actually uh, one of our songs on the demo that ended up being our first single. Okay. Right. Yeah. Dope man, dope, dope. All yeah. you need to hear the word Kate so Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's dope. So at what point did you say, all right, man, you know, this this music thing isn't working for me. Let me let me pick up the clippers. Well, this is what happened. And we and you know, you hear this all the time. Just you're young, you make mistakes. We didn't really have management, you know, so we did the first single. The they put it out. They didn't do a video. They didn't think it was strong enough, but it, it took off at radio. So they had to backtrack and shoot the video. Mm. We did the video. That's where we rocked the polo head to toe. We, you know, mm. we really did our thing. And that because we were jiggies. We came, you know, we was looking the part as well. And that did pretty good. We went, on, we went out on a roll. We did in stores and all kind of stuff. And then 
we did our second single and video was was raking in a dough and it was a, a mix of the uptown bounce mix mm. and um that went well we were doing our thing and the, then we got into a dispute with the label over the third single they wanted to put out an R&B uh, song on there called I Want to Be With You. And we wanted to put out Harlem because, you know, we were from Harlem. Mm -hmm. And that, that song had Orange Juice Jones on it. You know, so mm -hmm. we that's when we kind of got into a little dispute with the label. And then they was like, well, OK, don't we're not going to put out nothing. Why don't you just start working on your next album? You know, so I think from fighting with the label like most artists do, you know what I'm saying? Because you're an artist and you have your own vision and then they're the business, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, that that's from us, I think, being... I mean, first of all, it's not like we all set out as youngsters to be rappers. It's something that we fell into. So, and it's ironic when you get the opportunity, then you really start working on your craft. So by the time we got to the second album, we were all much better MCs, but the, the label was just like, it's an easy wash for them. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It's a tax write-off. So they dropped us from the label and, you know, we didn't, Harlem would have been, man. But mm -hmm. if I look back now in retrospect, you know, I was a kid then. And if we would have think proper management, we should have just went with the, with the R&B single that they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because... They kind of did what we wanted to do. And mm -hmm. then when we fought them, you know, I think we would have. And honestly, you know how R&B records always do better than yeah. the rap records. Mm -hmm. So we probably would have had a bigger hit on the radio and toured more and got a second chance had we listened to the radio, to listen to the record company. You know what I mean? Gotcha. <laughs> and retrospect, you know, I think they probably were right. They would have been right, even though we didn't want to go with that single. You know, that's, that's one thing, like a, 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 a common thing that I hear. A lot of the times when things uh, go wrong, people either blame the studio. I'm saying in terms of movies or even records, right? Mm -hmm. But when they go right, they never get a studio any credit. It's all, it was all, and it's a collaboration, right? That's the whole point of why the artist teams up with the studio in the first place, right. because... The, the studio has sort of some resources and some level of expertise and the artist has like the talent, but they, they both go uh, hand in hand. And I, a lot of times people be like, oh, the suits got involved and they wanted to come mess things up. Mm -hmm. But e every time you got a success, the, the suits were involved there too. Mm. But I just feel like they get all the credit for the failures, but not, none of the credit. For yeah, the but when I, I'm saying in retrospect, I believe that they were right and we were wrong, but we mm -hmm. were also... Yeah. Eight, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, you know, young kids. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think there's more mentorship needed. You know what I mean? And that would have came in the, the form of management and so on and so forth. But that business is a tricky business and it's a unforgiving business. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just part of you know. Yeah. Now you, you bring up that you folk that you guys were younger. Now um learning that you kind of your dream fell out, right? How did you take it at that time, being dropped from the label? Did, did it hurt hard? Well, when we first got dropped, we thought that we were, like most people, like, oh, we're going to get another deal. You know, we were touring. People like us. We got fans. We had a little couple hot joints, you know, and we were better MCs. Mm -hmm. So that went on. You know, I went back to cutting here and everything, but that still went on for about seven, eight years of me turning into the producer for the group and 
us doing demos and paying for studio time and you know you like you want that lifestyle it's a great lifestyle you know you traveling you making money you you, you know what i'm saying you got the girls you know so who wants to give that up you know what i'm saying so you're going to try and get back in there and we tried to get back in there for some years but you know it's also a small community mm. and i they look like well y'all had a deal you know, mm-hmm. why did they let y'all go? You know, why are we going to gamble on you guys? You know, and plus, I, you know, I'll keep it real. We were the best MCs. It's not like we had the skill level of, of you know, people who really deserve to be there. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of groups that kind of came out in the 90s and like, where are they now? Because, you know, we were in the industry. So it was kind of like, you know, you, you'd be at the right place at the right time. You got the right thing. You got the right energy going. So you could kind of get in there. You know what I'm saying? Who you know will get you in there and what you know will keep you there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we didn't know. You know what I'm saying? We didn't really have any representation. Our contract it wasn't that great. You know what I mean? So, you know, it is what it is. Do you think that in today's world where sort of a lot of artists have a direct channel to their audience, that things would have turned out differently? Hell yeah. Be- hell yeah. Because... Even when we did like a twenty year anniversary, we did a sh- we did a uh, concert in uh, Mount Morris Park in Harlem. Man, it was flooded. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw, f- and that's just local fans. You know what I mean? And we hadn't done anything in a long time. And we did that, and we did the um, Rocksteady joint. We did two shows that summer, and you know, you you see your fans. You know, and all through that time, people were saying, when y'all gonna come out with something, man, I really like y'all. People see us and say, yo, I grew up on Toss It Up and Raking In The Dough. That was my shit, that was my joint, you know what I mean? So, that's the, the that's the, the privilege that the artists of today have. They have a direct, I mean, just imagine if we had an Instagram page at that, we probably could have had 100,000, two, 300,000 followers that we could have said, go to PayPal and get our single because we were still making music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then you got promoters. Anybody could inbox you for a show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You didn't have... But then we had to go to a booking agency and the booking agency wanted you to sign with them so they could have exclusive rights to book you shows. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And put you on tours. These kids... I mean, th- right now, it's the perfect time to be self-made. Mm-hmm. That's in any field. Speaking mm-hmm. of self-made, um, now how did you transition from the from Jiggy into the entrepreneur of the Levels franchise? Right. Okay, so boom, it came to a point. I think I was home for a year after the Jiggy thing, and I was like, "Yo, I gotta go back to the shop." Real quick, what, <laughs> what year was this? Um, I think the album came out in '91, and that we was yeah, it was like nine. We worked on the demo. 90 i believe like 91 so 91 no or 92 it was 91 and 90. i'm not good with years i think it was 92 because <laughs> 89 90 i was just dancing with special ed so then like 91 we worked on the album 91 and 92 i think the album came out so we were out on the road and we we're doing our thing for about a year so 93 you know what i mean and then I was home for like a year. So like 94, I went back to the barbershop. Okay. I could be off for a year too, but... Now let's go back to the barbershop as a cutter. Yes, I had... I hung up my clippers and they had a little celebration for me. I worked at a shop called Prestige. It was on 125th Street between 5th and Lenox Avenue. And I had worked there two years 
but f f while I was working on this album. So mm -hmm. I was there for two years, I think. And then I left for like two years. So and I can't. So I, mind you, I was, I'm in the front of the shop. I'm like in a third chair. You know, position position is everything. Uh -huh. But when I come back, I lost all my clientele, and I'm in the back of the shop with the females, with the cosmetologists, and I had to work my way back to the front of this. I had to wait for there to be an opening to get to the back to the front. And you know, your your, your customers, I'm back there looking sad, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Spinning in the chair with no clientele. You nobody know nobody wants to go to the barber in the back chair. Yeah. And mm. you know, some of my people that I did service, they were going to somebody else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. My man Will was like one of the first people that was like, let me go go Give my man a shot, you know so what I'm saying? Well, 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 well. He one of the people that said, "Man, my man back there looking sad. Let me go back there and, and, and give him a shot." And that's we how we became. Like that in society. Yeah, that's how we became real up. tight. You know all what I right, mean? <laughs> so, so all right, you're cutting hair. So, how long were you cutting hair until? Well, just how long were you cutting hair till you got to the front? Let's start with that. I think I was back at Prestige for. Well, I opened up my first shop June 15th, 1996. You remember that date? Yes, of course. All right. That's a very pivotal mm -hmm. time in my life, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I, um, so I think I was back at the shop for two years before I left to open up my own shop. Nice. So how did that, how did that open up? How did, how did you see that? Because, because not a lot of people know that, you know, you started your entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial spirit, um, your, your brother taught you, well, kind of just showed you a. My Ways brother brought of... some clippers home, mm -hmm. and he was terrible, and I picked them up <laughs> and started on myself, and then my brother, and then my friends. There you go. So right. now, you have this entrepreneurial spirit. While you're sitting and cutting hair for these two years, at what point did you say, man, I'm going to open up my own barbershop? I think it's on most barbers' desire to mm -hmm. open up their own barbershop. But it takes a certain type of personality to actually do what you say you're gonna do, mm -hmm. and 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 it divine intervention and all that stuff too could play a part. Mm -hmm. So um, the two years I was there, I was building back up my clientele, mm -hmm. um, and um, the person who taught me, his name was Gene Walker. You know, I had plateaued in my house. And then I got an opportunity to go work at the barbershop. My brother came back with the number of Gene Walker, and he said, tell your brother to call me. And remember, he wrote his name on a manila envelope, a little ripped manila envelope. I called him, and he said, come in Saturday morning. And I went in there, and he said, cut this guy's hair. And the guy, I remember, was a dark-skinned guy. He had wavy hair, and I had my one wall clipper and I, he was he didn't want me to cut his hair, you know. My, I'm a, I, I was I think I was seventeen or sixteen going on seventeen, and you know you didn't see barbers that young in the shop back then, and um and this was the eighties, you know, and a lot of people get money in the street and all that stuff. So it was a good time to be a barber. But mm -hmm. I cut this guy's hair, you know, against his will. My teacher said, "Let him cut your hair. There's nothing he can do to your hair that I can't fix." Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So. You know, nervously, I cut this guy hair, of course, nervously, because he didn't really want me to cut his hair. Right. Mm -hmm. And I did okay. He gave me his trimmers, and I gave him a line. And then he was like, all right, take your time. And I stayed that day, and I worked the entire summer, and he taught me the things that I couldn't learn on my own. Okay. Like, he taught me how to fade properly, and, you know, and he was a fabulous barber, but he needed help. Mm -hmm. He had so much clientele, and it was just him and the owner. That was Mr. Willie Lothar. And Mr. Willie was like, 
in his 60s. So all his all his clientele were older guys that probably his age bracket. Mm -hmm. But Gene is the one who was cutting all the flat tops and doing designs and the gumbies and all this stuff. And he had a big overflow. So for him to take on an apprentice was actually good because it helped him. Mm. And I and you know, I worked a lot because he had a lot of clientele. And the shop was on 125th Street and St. Nicholas Avenue. So the okay. traffic was crazy. All right, dope. Mm. So you go ahead and open up the barbershop. Um, well, I said that mm -hmm. to say he, mm -hmm. Mr. Gene Walker, when Mr. Willie Lothar died, Gene got his shop. Okay. Gene expanded and got another location where he had hair braiders, right? But mm -hmm. then he had Paul managing both of the spaces. And um, he let, um, Gene had two apprentices, myself and my partner, Larry Wilson. Shout out to Larry. Yes. Uh, yeah. And this is someone you're in business with now? Yeah. yeah we okay. opened the first shop together. Right. Um, he um, saw Larry's mom and told Larry's mom that um, he was trying to get rid of his other space. So me and Larry went to talk to him. We went to look at the space, and uh, we ended up getting the space. Mm -hmm. And and it was Larry, my cousin DeNarvo, you know. He had called me. He had just been in a car accident. And, you know, he was like, you know, I got some money, blah, blah, blah. Let's do a barbershop. And I'm like, funny you say that. You know, <laughs> me and Larry are looking at this barbershop, mm -hmm. although my cousin wasn't a barber or anything. So we, we joined forces. We put our money together, and we opened up that first barbershop on 125th Street. I was just about to 425 West 125th Street mm. between Morningside and Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. June 15th, 1996. I was 25 years old. There you go. Yeah. Now, um, when opening up a new business, it, it, I, every entrepreneur that I've listened to or told me stories, they said that some headaches would always arise. Where there's some things that kind of made you kind of think and say damn did i make the wrong move or did were you always confident in what you did i was very confident okay i was uh you know later on i had some doubts when i expanded in certain locations but mm -hmm. for that location that first shop i guess the excitement of having your own not only that i when we opened up there were other barbers that were cutting in harlem that wanted to come with us we was the young hip barbershop mm. we had the we exposed the brick we had hardwood floors like when we were when we were doing the construction people were stopping by asking us was it going to be a restaurant mm. that's how it looked different it looked from most barbershops it had it had you know we had the gold leaf in the windows mm -hmm. like you didn't see this kind of stuff on barbers and that's part of me being jiggy wow. mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying me and larry had that that taste mm -hmm. you know what i mean to make our shop look like you know, look appealing mm -hmm. to our age group. Mm -hmm. And so the other young barbers that were in Harlem, they couldn't wait to come and work with us and leave where they were. So we opened the shop with almost all the chairs filled with barbers who all had a, a, a clientele. And the crazy thing is that people were saying that we were bougie because they were coming by and we wouldn't have any openings. Mm. And it was like, how y'all just open up and y'all ain't got no openings? Because we were all doing appointments. Mm -hmm. So for that shop, I I didn't really have any fear. You know what I mean? I didn't. I ain't gonna lie. I think I got my hair cut. Like, when we, me and him, man, I think I got my hair cut by at least all of them. All the barbers that were in there. Man, you we know, had some top-notch guys. Yeah, superstars. Mm -hmm. like, now, got, why was that? Was it, was it because that you were just like, you know what? Well, I know everybody could cut? Well, well number one, uh, he used to manage me. Mm 
mm-hmm. as a music producer. All right, well, so we're gonna get into that. But yeah, go ahead, yeah. Mm-hmm. So as a music producer, he used to manage me. So he had a, we had the studio down in the basement. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like. I needed a haircut, I go upstairs. Now, you know, everybody got the loyalty, you know what I'm saying, when it comes to barbershop. But me, I was kind of like, I give everybody, you know, chance. Like, oh, he wasn't there? Yo, come on, join. Mm-hmm. Everybody was just nice. Mm-hmm. Like, I never had a problem where it was like, damn, fuck my shit up. My yeah. shit crazy looking right now. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's been throughout the whole time with the Levels franchise. Every, every shop from the west side, 125th Street, to the east side, 124th Street, mm-hmm. nice. All mm-hmm. the barbers been nice. Now, speaking you know about... Oh, go ahead. What were you going to oh, say? No, I'm just saying that all the barbers were nice in levels. You have, like... they. It was talent. Mm-hmm. All the barbers had talent that come through levels. You know, that's that's just what it is. And let me ask you a question about... Are you are just in different locations in Harlem, or are you spread out in, in other locations besides... Four in Harlem, two in Brooklyn, two in Orange County, New York. Boom. Right. Orange County, Hudson Valley. in the Bronx, man. I know. We're working on the Bronx. All right, good. There you go. Yeah. I've been hearing that for a long time. <laughs> oh, by the way, and, you know, I live in Yonkers. People can't cut hair over here. You, you'll make I, it's either the Bronx go. or Yonkers. Because t- I go to the, well, the same guy's been cutting my hair for a long time, but I would never. I got two lineups here in Yonkers, never again. We actually have a, 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 a barber program in the Yonkers School District, a continued education you for adults. You need all of them to go over there. Touch on that a little bit about the, because I mean, even that, that's new for me, because I've seen it on the ground, but I, you know, I didn't take it all in. But now that you're here, you could expand on that about what, you know, how did you get that started? And then we're going to go into, you know, the, what this whole show is about, fatherhood. Right, right, right. When the mm-hmm. kids came in. Okay. Yeah. So... And and just to, to continue what you were saying in regards to fe- feeling a little fear, mm-hmm. um, in ni- 1998, I opened my second shop. That's where I was going right? to go. Mm-hmm. And um, I offered my partners a chance to get down with me, you know. And they was like, no, nah, I ain't got no money. You know what I mean? So I did it on my own. You know what I mean? And that's when I had a little fear. And my second shop was on 117th Street and 2nd Avenue. And, um, you know... So, yeah, there's been times that I had doubts, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And not just with that location, with a few, you know. It's like kind of like the jitters you get when you go on stage, even though people do this their whole life. Some people say they still get the little jitters before they go on stage. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. You always have a little doubt. But my desire to succeed is way bigger than the doubt. Totally understand that. Now, just I know we're going to get touched on the, the barbershops and all this other stuff. For those that don't understand how the barber business works, how does one own a shop? Like, how do you make money in that in that field? Like, I know you make money, obviously, yourself as, as someone who's cutting. Right. But as an owner, how do you make money to take that money and open up another? You can do it a few ways. Mm-hmm. In New York, the most common way is you rent a chair. Okay. You rent a chair for a set fee per week the other way is you can do commission where you get a percentage of each haircut that the barbers do mm-hmm. and the third way is to have employees where you give them a salary so these three ways is the way you will make your money in, in most barber shops okay well so- let me let me follow up with one question on that because I, I i thought about opening a barber shop back mm-hmm. in the day 
Uh, and I think more people more more people of color when they get they they tax money they should think about a business to open that's just my my thing so i'm all, i'm always thinking about that but anyway i what i wondered was if i ever opened a barbershop how many chairs do you need filled to make that shop be profitable right so i because I, I would guess if you're renting it let's say you say well the electric bill at this barbershop is this the taxes are that the the rent is this which means I need at least five chairs and then everything after the fifth chair. Is that how you think about it? Um, I'm just throwing rent. No, no, no. You want to put chair to rent ratio. And all the chairs are most of the time not going to be filled. So you have to, your ratio should really be, can I survive with half of my chairs filled? That's how I do it. Mm -hmm. Can I survive with half of the chairs filled? Because... You know, that's a fickle business and barbers come and go. And there will be times where you have just half the chairs filled. So if you need all the chairs filled to pay the bills, then you don't have enough chairs or the rent is the rent to chair ratio is, is off. All right. So now fast forward, you're opening up different shops. Where do you say, all right, I want to I want to kind of dive more into this field and I want to help other barbers. When do you open up that Barber Institute and um, which one was the first? Was it in Hudson Valley? I know we'll touch on, you know, Milltown. As a barber, you go through a stage of being an apprentice. I was an apprentice when I worked under Gene Walker. Mm -hmm. And you can get your license three ways in New York State. You can get your license from by apprenticing under a master for two years mm -hmm. or going to school and doing a 515 hours. Lastly, if you come from another country or state, if you can show proof that you had a, a license there, your transcripts or somewhat, you can get a, a test based on that as well. Mm -hmm. So you do have to take your test, your test for your master license in New York State. Mm -hmm. And those are the three ways you can get to the test. So I've apprenticed hundreds of barbers through having my multiple locations and bringing in barbers who don't have a license but have some talent and those who come in raw you know so me me uh helping bring people to license only was natural to say okay and plus i'm a state board examiner so when mm. people go to take their tests i'm one of the examiners there at the site so it's only if to me it's just i've mastered opening the barbershop thing Oh, we can't forget about the barbershop battles, man. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He, he, also yeah. started, he started that too. Barbershop right. battles, what yeah. is that? We'll go we'll get to that. So okay. basically <laughs> from opening the shops and helping people get licensed, becoming a state board examiner and a licensed teacher, I just thought it would it would be my natural progression to open a school. Okay. So we'll be opening up the school. The next month in Middletown, Middletown Levels, stand up. Levels Barber Institute. All right, oh, Middletown yeah. stand up, Hudson Valley stand up. Yeah. Now, now, um, I, I grew up in a barber shop. My stepfather cut hair for you know when we moved up to. I know we were speaking before the show, but when we moved up, I was about 12, 13 years old. He, I don't know, was trying to find his way, right? Um, because at the time my sister was being born, so he's like, I got this. This grown boy over here, I got this lady that I, I you know, I have, I have a, a, a child with, so let me figure things out. I guess he always knew how to barber, and then he sat down in a barbershop or whatever the case may be. Now, um, 
one of the main things is, is that I have a close relationship with my stepfather. He's always um, he's always mentored and fathered me, right? Um, as well as my other father, but you know, it was just a special bond between he and I. So there was two two times where during the day that he would talk to me. One was video games because we were like game heads. You know, we were either playing live Madden, going at it, and the second was in the chair. Now I know you're a father yourself. At this time, when you're opening barbershops, Jiggy, all this other stuff, when did fatherhood come into play? Um, actually, my wife now, who's my wife now, she, in the process of opening my second shop in 1998, I remember going to the doctor and her taking the uh, blood test to say that she was pregnant. And this is... So when I did my grand opening for my second location in 1998, mm -hmm. my wife had my son in the stomach at that time, and I could never forget that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So yeah, that that's and I and me, you know, already being a little bit successful, it was definitely motivation to keep going because now I know I had to provide for two other people. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I was 27 at the time, mm -hmm. and my wife was pregnant, and I'm, and she's, and I remember no one even knowing when we we coming in together for the grand opening, mm -hmm. and I didn't even tell anybody yet. I didn't, I don't think I told my mom to anybody yet. <laughs> you <Yeah>. nervous? <laughs> no, because, you know, I, it wasn't that. It's just that, you know, I just didn't, we just found out, you know, like right around that time, you know what I mean? It was just, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to let the cat out the bag soon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, how did she approach you about it? Well, one, how did you and your wife meet? Um, through, you know, family and friends, you know, my mm -hmm. one of my close friends at that time, he was in, like, it was Jiggy, and then we formed a super group called Harlem High. Okay. And Harlem High had um, figures of speech. They have below zero and three three deep. We had, you know, like the native tongue family type thing. And one of my, my boy Chauncey, who was in um, Alley High, you know, figures of speech changed their name to Alley High. Mm -hmm. And he was dating my, um, my wife's aunt. Mm -hmm. So at an event, because I'm all over the place, mind you, um, I'm doing, I do T-shirts. Serial entrepreneur. So I have a T-shirt company, too, while I'm Absolutely. doing all this barbershop called Harlem High. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're at the Black Expo not only doing haircuts, but we're also selling the Harlem High T-shirts. And she came. I met her there. Chauncey said, oh, her, her niece is pretty. She could be. She could help sell the T-shirts, the female T-shirts. So I mm -hmm. meet my wife there at the Black Expo through my boy Chauncey and his, and his girl then, my wife's aunt. Awesome. So yeah. now, <laughs> so fast forward, yeah, um, how old is your son now? My son will be on July 6th. He'll be 19. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. What is, uh, what is your son into? What, is, what are his influences? Uh, is he wait, a barber wait, wait, as well? Wait, hold on. We, we can't forget. We can't forget Princess. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, my we, daughter's we can't 17. Princess. Oh, so we have, so we have yeah. two children. Yeah. Excuse yeah. me. All right. Yeah. So we have and two children. Where was... Well, I remember opening my third store and coming in with my son in my arms at the grand opening. And he was uh, like one then. 
And then I got pictures of opening my fourth store, and my wife is pregnant with my daughter then. <laughs> that's so dope, man. That's, that's ill, man. Yeah. So um, uh, is your is your son or your daughter, are they cutting hair? My son has his apprentice license. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of forced it on him, and he, he, he did a little, you know, I try to get him into it, but he doesn't really want to cut hair. Yo, that was, that was me, know, man. Yeah, my, my stepdad would. Be I'm like, trying, yeah. though, you know, but he he doesn't. You really know, I will say also as a father, like um, I am a, a software engineer. Uh, when I'm not doing this, and I try to get my son into that, he does not want to hear that shit at all. Yeah, he's 17. Mm-hmm. He just looks at me like, what, what? What do you like? I'm wasting his time. Yeah, <laughs> but your your son took after another part of your life, though. Yeah, yeah, he wants to be a, a rapper. He's in a group, uh, the Halo Boys, mm-hmm. and um, you know he watched my videos. You know I, I played music around him. He knows everything from, from I mean I had them playing Run DMC and, and him, my daughter. You know they know everything from Run DMC to Bismarcky to 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 all the greats on up until mm-hmm. you know now where he's influenced by you know these the younger artists car uh, playboy cardi and, and guys like that so his music is kind of on that thing and the funny thing is um i just sent him a video that i saw on either world star youtube and it was talking about the type of um impression that the new music is making Mm-hmm. And what the older generation did, and I sent him that. I try to support him in his career. You know, mm-hmm. Summer Jam came. I bought him tickets for his birthday to go to Summer Jam, so he could see what what a show looks like. I got him a show at SOBs with his group because a friend of mine I've does an open that. mic. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. You know what I'm saying? I let him use my cameras to shoot their videos and stuff like that. So, like my mom did for me, when when I got my job, she went and bought me the clippers I needed. When I was painting characters on pants she went and bought my paint she bought my my airbrush you know my brother wanted to play electric guitar she bought him a black kid in in Harlem with electric guitar you know what I mean so she always did that for her children and I try to do the same for my children so that's like my dad you know what I'm saying you know when I want to become a music when I went into the world of music production he helped me get my first professional music set up you know the MPC and all of the top-notch studio gear, he helped me get that loan. So I already know I'm gonna have to pay it forward with my daughters. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, do you know come of age and they like that? You know, I want to be you know something. I'm like, all right, yeah. let's you do know, it. You yeah. know, um, I usually save the words of wisdom for the end, but you know they say a man is truly wealthy when his children's lives are better than his. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so you you you, you kind of got to do that. I just want to also say I didn't get none of that shit when I talked about my dreams, but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not mad. <laughs> but I just make sure my little man. Yeah, I mean he's taller than me now, but you know uh, when he said like you know I'm in the basketball, I'm like you sure you want to do that? Mm-hmm. I was like all right, then we go into AAU and we practicing and right. I'm getting you on the school team if I got to bribe somebody or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish you would do this programming thing because that's the future. But you know when they mm-hmm. when they when a when a child like your job is when when a child finds something they're passionate about, your job is to stoke that flame yes. mm-hmm. and allow them to be or, or help them to be the best that they can yeah. be at that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So he got his little recording set up in the, in the, at home. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. he could record his vocals at home and everything. You know, I'm trying to get him to start working on doing production as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was I was listening. I don't know if you if you heard it yet. Uh, Royce the Five Nines Book of Ryan. It's a very it's a personal album, and I think with age, you know, you kind of. You tend to you tend to relate yourself with 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 you know music, right? So with the book of Ryan, he speaks about his family. He speaks about the influences that he's that he's received and the influences that he's given out to his son. And one of them is that his son is rapping, and, and it's cool that you're part of that process with your with your son. My father, you know, I don't want to shout him out, but he's he's. I would say that he is of a large influence in the music industry, and um, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to be just like dad. You know what I'm saying? Do my thing. And his, I remember when I, I told him I was serious about it. And he said, "Yo, if you're serious about this," he said, "Nobody ever gave me a shot, so therefore, don't even think about coming over here." Even though he's my father, you know what I'm saying? He still, you know, through through a little through a little pieces of meat, like you know, let's yeah. go see how this makes out, but. At the end of the day, you know, that influence was always there. You know what I'm saying? Right. I could always call him. Till this day, you know, I'm not as much, I'm not as into music as I once was. Mm-hmm. You know, the passion just isn't there for me. But when we speak, it's that's our point of reference. That right there is the music. And we talk about that and we just live that. Now, do you have that same relationship with your son? Like, what's your point of reference? What, what do you guys always get into or talk about? clean your room <laughs> uh, you gotta work hard mm. you know like see I don't understand my children you know because I was self motivated mm-hmm. you know what I mean like I've always worked hard and that's the only thing that they know from me they know me from being creative from working hard making my they watch me open barbershops they've been there helping take the names and do the free haircuts and you know like they see me do that they see me provide for them and you know it's almost like you you know like i don't want to say like they spoil you but they don't have the drive i have so i'm trying to instill the drive in them and i know i don't beat them in the head with it but i always give him examples you know i always give them the cause and effect and i'm always I give him the long story. I think my mom, she gave me the, um, I always say my mom's always gave me the answer, but abstract. And I don't want to do that with them. I want to be direct. Like my mom say things like, oh, if you're going to have sex with a girl, you wear your raincoat. You feel me? So that's, that's like the old school way of saying protect yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell my son, listen, you better wear a condom because if you don't, you could have a baby. You could catch this. You could catch that. That's what, you know what I mean? Yeah, so okay, that's right. the relationship I have with them when it, when it comes to talking serious. And then lightly, you know, we both into basketball. We both into music. He plays his music to me. So I think, yes, the music is a connection thing. And the, he used to want to play basketball and he played AAU and all that. And I used to play basketball. So I supported him in that. And, and we talk about the game and players. Mm-hmm. So we connect in those ways. And he, he knows a little bit about the Barbie game, you know, but not a lot. I wouldn't say we connect well there, mm-hmm. but still, to me, he's at more at a point of he got a lot of lessons to learn, and I got a lot of lessons to teach. Well, he is 19 years old now. Yeah. Uh, at 19, do you feel like you were probably a little more mature than him? I think I was just way more self-motivated, and not just him, more than my peers. 
Gotcha. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, you know, he liked the girls and all that. I did that too. He liked to be fly. He liked the girls. He liked music. I could dig all of that, mm-hmm. you know, but I always try to show him, okay, if you're serious about playing basketball, I put this hoop in the driveway for you. You should be putting up 300 shots a day mm-hmm. if you're serious about it. I got I, something, yeah. something about that because I, I like ask myself that same question like just having like it's like it's different when you got a teenager right because then they're, they're starting to become the man and you start to compare them but I wonder because I, I have those same questions about about Steve Jr. right mm-hmm. and I wonder I think that my drive came from the lack of, of things that I had right and so I was always like I want better Right now, my son grows up in a big house when I when he whenever he will go and I had to force him to get his permit. I'm like, when you get your license, I'll buy you a car. So he doesn't have that level of pressure there. And I don't want him to have that level of pressure because I know I spent so much time trying to get a nice car and then trying to buy a house. Right. But if I those are the, the basic things in life that, you know, we should already have. So my thinking is, if I make sure he has that stuff on lock, he could focus on the big things. He could focus on the let's start a let's 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 let me start the next Fortune 500 because he don't have the same struggles I had. I disagree. I'm not saying it's right. No, but I'm, saying I'm the gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you why though. That, that, because that, all that, that, that struggle today. builds the character you need. Yes. So I tell him I'll help you buy a car, but I'm not buying you a car. You understand? Because if I buy you a car, you won't even appreciate the car. So I'm like, you need to go to work and bring back something, 1500 that you have saved on your own, 2000 And I'll put something to that and we could get the car. He don't have a car right now. And I could get him a car, but I'm <laughs> not going to get him a car because he didn't do anything to earn that car. And that's what everything. I do all his basics. I got him on that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And sometimes a little too much. And I understand how you think you were in a position where you had you felt like you had to do those things. Yeah, because I had to start at like that, negative five. Yeah, I but just that's, to start at zero. But mm-hmm. that's it. they have to find motivation, period. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And all that stuff that you go through to get from point A to point B builds the character you need to sustain sustain it. A friend of mine, his his grandmother died and left him two brownstones. Within like five years, he lost both of those brownstones. Those brownstones today probably worth like three, four million dollars. Each. And he, yeah, he mm-hmm. lost them. Mm-hmm. You understand? So, but he didn't do nothing to earn those brownstones. His grandmother, whatever she did, you know, and this is in Park Slope. She, whatever she did... She did something to acquire those brownstones, mm-hmm. and she thought enough to leave them to him. I guess maybe his mom's. A, I don't know the whole story, but I know he lost those in in a record time. So, so uh, taken from what you said and taken from what Steve said, now there are certain families that are more wealthier than others. How is it that, and we could go round robin on this on everybody's answer. What is it that we're missing? on how to build that wealth in our family. Because Steve is saying, I, I didn't have anything. I want to give him just a little bit as a trampoline. You're saying, I want him to have the same type of energy that I had in order to get there. He don't have to have the energy, but he needs to understand it. Okay. That's more what I'm pushing for mm-hmm. him. 
you know, to understand what it takes to achieve something. Mm -hmm. And going through that process, it it will build character in you. Mm -hmm. You know, when, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you don't, like, okay, this is what I do when I want to simplify things, right? When I'm going to purchase something, I say, how many haircuts will I have to do to buy those $200 sneakers? How many mm-hmm. heads would I have to cut? Is it worth it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that gives me a perspective. You know what I'm saying? I would have to probably work two days to buy a $500 pair. It's Yeezys or something. I'm not going to buy that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you a week or, or a whole week or a week and a half of my cutting hair, even though I don't really cut hair no more. Mm-hmm. But it keeps it in perspective. You know what I mean? Now, if you give somebody that, they're going to. Mind you, if I did buy those thousand dollar sneakers, oh, I'm putting them up. I ain't playing basketball in those joints. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna be tight if somebody step on them. But you go and buy your son a thousand dollar pair of Yeezys. Is he gonna appreciate them? No way. You understand? So that's a simplified (laughs) version of you doing everything you need to do for your son. He's growing up better than you with more opportunity in the house. I grew up in an apartment. My son grew up in the house. I'm, I'm, I'm with him and with his mother. You know what I'm saying? He grew up with his father in the house. Well, he's already. You know what I'm saying? So he grew. We went to private school, and then we mm-hmm. moved upstate, and he went to a, a top school in the in in the state. So the other stuff I ain't got to give him. Right. You know what I'm saying? I he got he 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 barely worked. Don't have to work. He grew up in his own room. When I was a little kid. I slept in a room in a bed with my brother who peed the bed and my two big brothers in the bunk bed. And then when we moved to Harlem, me and my brother shared the room. You know what I'm saying? So this kid had his own room, you know what I'm saying, before he knew what that was. TVs in the room, games, systems, everything. Went to private schools, everything. So I don't have to give him a car and this other stuff. He already, I'm, I'm already superseded my parents right. now we, we're focusing on the on the boy how's yeah. the daughter does she take in more appreciation than I, and i don't want to i don't want to yeah, i don't no, want to no. compare the two i don't yeah, want to no, no, no. create no sibling rivalry no but that's from 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 my perspective it, in most families it seems like the daughter does better than the son for some reason I, I think it's all about personality okay my daughter's personality is different than my son's personality but why? She's a little lazy too. Oh, and, okay. and she, you know, she's similar to him growing up with a little bit. It's not just them. I think it's their error. Okay, that's, mm-hmm. let me get that out the way. But she has a little more of my traits as far as wanting to be a boss and wanting to do business. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter has done her own makeup tutorial videos on YouTube and stuff. She got a little bit of that, you know what I'm saying, in her. You know what I'm saying? It's from, you know, me or our blood. I don't know. But she's... She sees herself as being a businesswoman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So she, her personality is just different. You know what I'm saying? My, I know my son, he said, can he take off a year from college so he could pursue his music career? You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, okay. You know what I mean? But I know he's not the most studious dude. You know what I mean? So I said, okay. And I don't even think he's going to go back, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But I know his personality. He got some of my personality traits on that side, whereas I'm not a school dude. I, even after the rap thing, I was in 
college, New York Tech. We got the opportunity with special ed. I was gone. I finished my first <laughs> semester. I was like, Phew. but it was a good thing because mm-hmm. I had never even been on a plane up until that point. Mm-hmm. And I'm traveling all over state to state, you know, meeting people. And then when that, then the jiggy thing happened and then. I went back to the barbershop, and then I tried to go back to school. I did go back to school. I went to BMCC. But I was like, man, listen, I'm a doer. You know what I mean? Right. So I left there, and I opened my shop. So to me, either you need to be an entrepreneur or you need to go to school. I'm, yeah. I, I'm glad you said that because I, yeah. I got that, that same mentality, which is I understand that college is not for everybody, right. but it is for people who don't got a plan yet. It gives you time to figure things out. And if you don't figure things out, you take those credentials and, and, and take some more time. But for my son, it is not even an option unless he says, Pops, I want to open this business. Here's my solid business plan. And if he comes to me with a solid business plan, I'll give him a loan. But you can't just be like, nah, I'm taking a year off. Or I'm, nope. <laughs> You, you will sleep on the streets if you're going to do that unless you got a business plan. Right. Yeah, you know gotcha. Right, but see, it's kind of, I would feel kind of hypocritical <laughs> because, you because I left school mm-hmm. to pursue the entertainment. Mm-hmm. But that was later, though. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I, my moms didn't beef with me when I decided to leave. Mm-hmm. You Honestly, know? though, that's still a plan. plan yeah, true. I had something laid out, and I said that to him, to too. I had a job. Right. Mm-hmm. I was leaving for a job, which right. was, was, it was a little bit different, but... You know, I, 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 you know, you kind of know your kids and you know them because you see some of yourself in them. Yeah. You understand mm-hmm. the stuff that they're doing because mm-hmm. you even see the things in yourself that you don't like mm-hmm. about yourself. Damn. Which sometimes make you critical of your kids because you don't like that about yourself Preach. and you see it in your kids. And, you, you know, you try not to take that out on them because mm-hmm. you want them to be better than you. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. But how do we... Uh... Do we um do we let them fall in the hole and figure it out? I think if the hole's to not too deep. <laughs> All right. You know? yeah, because yeah. I mean, like my parents, like my mom, she never really because I left my house when I was seventeen. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I didn't you know grow up under that. And my mom, she didn't, she wasn't there for none of like much of the success that I had with music, mm-hmm. you know, but my dad, he was, he knew what was going on and stuff like that. And, you know, all he did was just say, hey, whatever you need, go ahead, you know. Um, and hell yeah, I fell in many holes and he's gotten me out. And I had struggled, you know, hard, you know, and even still, like even still to this day, I'm still paying for shit that I did 10 15 years ago, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But it's, it's, it's all coming together now, and I'm figuring out because I'm a family man now, and it's like, damn, my daughter, she's four years old. Mm-hmm. My other daughter's 11, and my daughter's 17 and 14, so I'm like, I'm watching them. And I told my um, 17-year-old the other day, you know, I said, look, because, you know, you mentioned st- uh, about the um, going to college, like, either you go to college or you have some sort of, like, you know, Something. Passion, a passion, plan, mm-hmm. uh, plan, um, and I showed her this kid because I used to work in the high school. I was a school aide, and one of the kids, uh, his name is Kerwin Frost, and he's out there. He that sounds stuff. like a supervillain name. Yeah, he's out there in the fashion world <laughs> and stuff like that. And um, 
and I have another friend who knows this kid. You know what I'm saying? We all know him because he was he was he was like just how he is. If you've seen him in the industry, he was kind of like that in school. Mm -hmm. You know, he, we had a cool relationship. Um, and I showed the the video because he it amazed me too because he was on Hot 97 getting interviewed by Ebro and him. And I'm like, this kid, he was a high school. He didn't finish high school. He didn't go to college. You know what I'm saying? And I'm showing my daughter this. My 17-year-old, I said, look, I'm going to show you something. See this kid right here? Blah, 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 blah. I broke, I broke everything down. And I said, look, you don't have to wait until you my age to be successful mm. at what you want to do. You could be 17 right now, and you could become a millionaire just like that in six months, maybe to a year. Just mm -hmm. for, you know, think about what you want to do. College, it's a business. I told her it's a business, first and foremost. And when you go to college, you really got to get around the right people because the person who you meet in college, it could also change your future. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And y'all could build that Fortune 500 company. You know what I'm saying? And you really have to take it serious because at my job, I work for Transit. You know, and a couple of the people I know in transit, they went back and got their degrees. And I asked them the question. This was recently. A um, couple of females, they got their master's degree. So I said, now what? I said, what are we doing now? You got your master's degree. You know what answer I got? Well, I don't know. And, you know, a lot of, I don't know. And I'm trying to figure it out. Wait a minute. You went to school for, to get a master's degree? You spend money. And, you know, to go so to you school. spend money on a master's degree, and did they do they make more money because they got their masters? That's the that's the that's the scheme of it. But it, it when you dealing with a company like you know Transit, it's it's never it's never like that. My you biggest, know what I'm saying? Yeah, my. Biggest I mean, it's you know, it's still a lot of red tape. I mean, yeah, it, it'll get you you know the interview, but you know. Everybody else is out of work with master's degrees now. Master's degree is almost coming like a, a bachelor's degree. It's like, mm, okay. Yeah. So, you got to have a master's degree. Now, how, now, hold on. Now, mm -hmm. now, how do we get, you know, our children to, like, really, like, see it? See themselves in 10 years. They 17 years old now. They 18 years old. How do we get them to see 28 you can't. You can't because you, can. you also have to look at yourself you at, 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 at yourself at eighteen and your friends at eighteen and so on and so forth. Now I hear a lot of us saying like, you know, Fortune five hundred, uh, master degree to be a millionaire at seventeen years old. I hear a lot of that stuff, but um, my biggest thing is is we as men, as parents, whatever the case may be, we just have to teach our children to be happy. You get what I'm saying? Because the person that went for a master's degree, I'm in, I'm in finance, right? I deal with a lot of people in loans. I look at credit reports. I could break down a credit report and tell you where you fucking up and where you where you're good. You know, a lot of those loans come with student loans. There's a lot of student loans on those credit reports, and your student loans are let's say about eighty grand, and you're making about thirty two, thirty five hundred dollars a month doing something that you didn't even know what to do. So my thing is, yes, your children are going to get into pitfalls and they're going to go through those certain steps and everything else. 
They're supposed to. They right. have to do that. Right. You know? They have to mess up. My stepfather bought me a fly 2000 Honda Civic, man. It was like 2006. Fly. And you crashed it, Yo, right? not... <laughs> bro, I didn't even get to drive it. Yo, he pulled that into the driveway. He was... He put the system in. The TV came out. I was like, damn, yeah, this is me. This is this is how, how I do whatever. What happened next week? Report car came in. Car gone. Over with. That was it. Did that was my one shot. Deserve it. I didn't deserve and I, it. I applaud him for yeah. taking it for you, and that's why I say you don't give your kids gift like that. Now, mm-hmm. if you're super filthy rich, then okay, mm-hmm. you know. But if you ain't rich like that, and even though like Warren Buffett say he, he ain't leaving, he leaving his kids like less like a million or something. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know you what I'm saying? Don't want them to be hungry, right? He know he know that of. money might destroy them. Yeah, you know what I mean. So. He, he did the right thing because you didn't yeah. deserve it. Now, and, and, and in regards to college, I would say this. This is my opinion. Mm-hmm. If what, you, what your goal is requires college, then go to college. Of course. Like my nephew, he wants to be a pediatrician. You got to go to college. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if what, what you're trying to do requires college, then go that's to just going to be part of your path. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But, you know, it's a double standard, too, for society. Like, kind of women, it's less opportunity for them, so they kind of, like, got to have a degree. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They, I think it, they need it more so than the men, based on our society. Now, okay. so I want to I wanna touch on this for, for one second. So two things, right? As far, like, if you're going to get a degree in liberal arts, right, which is the degree that kids get when they don't know what they want to do with their life and they just go to school to go to school, I don't recommend that. But I can tell you right now, any kid right now that goes and gets a bachelor's in um, computer science can walk out of that school today and get a job making six figures a year. You should. You could take a class online. But that's that's not not an easy thing to graduate with, Mm -hmm. is it? I mean... You have to kind of be techie, it's, right? It's yeah. kind of a. It's so kind it's of like a I said. Right, now, if you know, know that's going to help that. your career, then then you go and take that. Uh-huh. But you got it's kind of a yes or no with that. You know what? Because I'm in the in, you know into yeah. information technology, and that's kind of a yes or no. Ooh, you can information have, technology. You yeah. didn't even say IT. Yeah, you broke it saying? down. Nah, I'm just saying. Like, yeah, they come out of college, but. They coming out with no experience. Zero. I know. And but yeah, even though they say that first, even though they take college as a one year experience, but still they going up against competition no, from but all tell, over I'm, the I'm world. Tell you right now, what what the tech field is like, right? And it may just because we in a good economic bubble, but what I'll tell Glad you, you about the the, the, yeah. the the tech um, economy right now is. All of these companies, they have their higher level senior positions where they want people with experience, but they literally go to colleges and recruit because they want to bring young people in the workforce that bring in new ideas. Mm -hmm. These are things that they do. So, I mean, you got to get that 3.5 GPA and all of that. Yes. You still got work for it. That's the degree where you can get that degree and, and it will pay for itself right away in that field isn't it google or 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 the guy in facebook offering kids not to go to college to delay college and go work and go work for their company because they want this young smart mind it's it's one of them tech ceos but that's Mm -hmm. another thing now the, the other thing i wanted to say was just to to put a button on the other point was i 
Emma just the kind of dude who even I know what you're saying like when you were younger are they thinking about when I was 18 I was thinking like yo I'm gonna retire when I'm 30 I was are you the exception like or the rule though maybe but I'm, I'm coming to that right? All right and then I got to 30 and I was like alright I'm gonna retire when I'm 40 same thing and, here and, and now I'm halfway there <laughs> to 40 I thought I was gonna I'm be like, a millionaire by 30 so but I'm, I'm always thinking out like but yeah. that's me right but my thing is I just spent so much brain cells for me to kind of dude who doesn't sleep when he wants something. I spent so much brain cells trying to get to the level that just people just got already. You know what I mean? I work around people where they, they pops was executives. You know what I mean? And they just came out. They already had a 750 credit score out of college because they pops put them on their American Express. You know what I mean? And now th those young 20 something year old kids that's making six figures that I had to work my way up to, they thinking about bigger and better things. When they my age, they'll, they'll have a million in the 401k and they will have, uh, uh, they'll have the, the, the $250,000 a year salary. Right. You know what I mean? So that That's probably relationships on, too though. Yeah. Their parents are putting them in the direct position and setting them up. Yeah. Well, that was my big, that was my big question. I'm glad you brought that up, Steve. Jobs that, and everything. Yeah, that was my, the setup. that was my big question. We're looking at these wealthy families, and we're looking at our families. How can we continue to build wealth? And I, I'm not, and I'm. I, I hate that. I don't hate. Excuse me. I dislike that we're building happiness around like, oh, hey, th this is the end game. You to make millions of dollars because that really doesn't. Well, it's, it, it's not realistic for everybody. It's not realistic for everybody. So you have to base reality off with everything, right? So you from Harlem, my man Dame Dash said. It's either boss or die. Do you feel the same way when you preach to your children? It's either boss or die. Because my opinion is, yes, it's boss up, do your thing. But there also has to be soldiers. There also has to be employees. You need to know your way around the world. When when Dame went on his rant about all of that, I understood some of the stuff where he came from. Mm -hmm. But... Um, you have to be the right personality type to be a boss. Everybody mm -hmm. is not built to be a boss. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you can't force somebody to be a boss. Either they have the makings of a boss and you can nurture it. Some people find not being a boss, being a team player, and just know, know your personnel. You know, So you can't mm -hmm. force your child to be a boss if you're one. Mm -hmm. And if you're not one, you can't stop your child from becoming a boss. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So... That's to me. That's a personality thing. You know what I mean. Mm. And all I say is, just be prepared. If your child comes up with something, you know, like my mom, just be prepared to support them. I think that's all you could really do as a parent because they're not you. You know what I'm saying? They're of you, but they're not you. You know what I mean? So you can never say what they can and can't do. All you can do is try to help them with whatever whatever they do. Motivate them, encourage them. That's all you can really... Listen, don't put so much pressure on yourself as a parent. That's their life. The best thing you could do as a parent is be the best person you could be. An example and support and all that loving, caring. That, you know what I mean? Like You're not responsible for your child's success. Hmm. You know what I mean? That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to give them all you can with love and support, knowledge and experience and all these other things. And, I, you know, don't ever put that 
You know, because, I mean, listen, I got one brother who he grew up in the same house under the same laws and the same guidance and everything, but he got into drugs. He did drugs and, you know, he's still here, but, he, you know, you know, that's his personality type. You know what I mean? My mother's not responsible for him. For him. My mother and parents, my parents didn't, my, my their biological father did, but he grew up in a house where mother and father didn't drink or smoke or none of that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So they're not responsible for where he took his life. You know what I mean? So don't, I would say all parents, don't put your all that pressure on yourself because people are their own person and they're going to do what they want to do. And you might delay it by being on top of them when they're young, but when they get out into the world, they're going to do what they want to do. So, you know what I mean? So let me, let me let me just add something to that. Like put a, put a point on that. Yeah. I think that you have to be there for your 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 children. Like provide them support. Yes. Right. So you are a team player, or and and they're the captain in their life, right? And so if they fall down, be there to give them advice and help them back up when they can, and see teach them how to learn from whatever things they have and and to the other point of like some people are bosses some people are workers like i i work with uh, a lot of artists for some of the other content that i produce and sometimes the artist just wants to draw right he don't want to be burdened with the bigger picture and that's okay he is just as important as me at the top because i gotta deal. i can't draw but you know what i gotta deal with this artist i gotta deal with this programmer i gotta deal with this level designer and that's my role exactly. at the top. Mm -hmm. And let them focus on the thing. that, they, And that's what a true boss does. Yeah. He finds talent and puts them in the right position so that they could be great in what they do. Because some people just want that microscopic view. My, my saying is all talent needs to be managed or coached. Mm -hmm. All talent. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan, no matter what. Gifted, all that. You know what I mean? Because sometimes that's all they are is talent. You know what I mean? They, they, it's people that talent... I had dudes that talented couldn't even they didn't even know how to write a check. You understand? Can't chew bubble gum at the same time, but they could rhyme their ass off. You know what I mean? So speaking on that, that that sometimes people need you know all talent needs to be coached, nurtured, wow. or whatever else you want to call it. And even that's what managers we're, need to be coached at a certain point. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know? I mean that's that's what we're doing as parents, man. I um. One, I appreciate you coming in. Definitely. I feel like we held you hostage for about like nah, two man, it was an easy flow, easy yeah. flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, not a hostage, but I looked at the time. I said, "Damn, yeah, we've been here." I ain't got to go to work. I'm a boss. Two, hey, <laughs> talk about it. I talk work. about it. I work, but I don't have to go to work. Not on the clock, at least. There you go, Check. man. Yeah. So um, I'm gonna take that as our parting words. Well, one, you know, Kamal just dropped some some jewels into that, and then Steve, I think you interjected and, and added your your thing. Uh, Sean, uh, let the people know what they can expect from us. Okay, um, next week, uh, what's 25th? It's about 25th, 25th next week. 25th yep. is next week. We got the um, Make Fatherhood Great Again hats coming. We got, we got the Mifka hats coming in red and black. Mm -hmm. So um, if you uh, if you like the show and all of that and you want to represent, um, we'll have the website popping and the link on our um, social media pages where you can uh, purchase the hats from. And um, that's about it. Well, tell them where they can find you, where they can get a hold of you on the Oh, they the definitely way. can get a hold of me on Instagram at Old Hair Wallen. Um, school. 
Um, you can find me on Instagram, us on Instagram at thirty six C uh, at thirty six C O F underscore. Right? Did yeah. I get that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm hot. Uh, at 36COF uh, underscore Facebook, yeah, 36 fun. Chambers of Fatherhood. Yeah. The Twitter is going to be at 36COF underscore. Um, yeah, we moving, man. And we I'm, out here. And Kamal. And, and Kamal let's um, know. You could Kamal Nuru at Kamal Nuru uh, at Levels Barbershop, levelsbarbershop.com, levelsbarberinstitute.com. And just Google me, man. Kazo or Jiggy mm-hmm. or... The yeah. man is all over the place. Do your research. Yeah. Now, one thing I didn't mention, and, and I hate bringing this up now, you manage Poster Boy. Yes, I manage Poster Boy. And for the youngins that don't know who Poster Boy was, there was a show called 106th and Park, and uh, Poster Boy was the poster boy for Freestyle Friday. Yeah. we. That was all the plan. Um, the, the Freestyle Friday? Well, yeah, that was that was a, a plan, and this was the plan. Um, you know, I was working with the poster boy, who's also my cousin, okay. and I met him in the barbershop cutting his brother's hair, and we start talking, and we realize that we're family, like my grandmother and his grandmother were sisters. So <laughs> so he brings his brother. I meet his younger brother, poster, my, my, my um, cousin, Dewan. You know, he, he passed away in 9-11. You know, so... We was we went through that together too, and I started managing him and and mentoring him in the industry. And um, a friend of mine, Frenchy, the producer, French, the producer, yes, first, not salute. French, not French man, Montana, but French, French. yes, French, Mad, Mad Bull Production, yeah, French, French, and what was his cousin's name? God damn, I can't remember. Well, I used to cut all their hair as well. He got us the opportunity to get on, and this is the we got we went on the show. And I told him, I said, we need to win 10 times. I said, because it's going to take two to three weeks for the word to get out. So I said, our goal was 10 times. So he goes on there the first time, he wins, right? And most people don't know this. Um, the next week, we're going back. And he's like, he's, he, he's like oh, I want to get a haircut, a lineup or something. I said, yo, we don't have time. I said, we're going to be late. No, I can't go on there without a shape up. Blah, 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 blah. I'm very stubborn. So I give them a shape up. We get over there, and they're like, we taped the show already. Y'all late. <laughs> so nothing we could do for y'all, right? So I bump into the girl that books talent. At um, I, I brought him to Big Daddy Kane's show at BB King's. I want him to see what a show looked like. It was Big Daddy Kane, EPMD, and somebody else. I bump into her there, and I'm like, listen, this kid is going to be big. You know, you got to get him back on the show, blah, blah, blah. She was like, well, I don't know, maybe a couple of apple martinis. That was the drink then. Might change my mind, right? So I get her and her girls like two rounds of apple martinis, and then she said, bring them next week. So from there, he goes on and wins. How many times they had to win? I think it was six like times, a seven times. Six. So when, six once, times he wins, once he wins like the fifth time, I think it was. And that's when Master P was like, he ain't going no more. We're going to sign him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that was legendary. We were like, we're going to retire him. I told them that. And they was like, hold on, hold on. They was like, let him come back two more times. Let us retire him. You know what I mean? Because the ratings was crazy at that yeah, time. Yeah, I remember that. And so that's how the whole seven wins or whatever it was, retirement thing came about. Mm-hmm. But our goal was 10 because I, and it all worked. 
I mean, we had meetings all over the place based on that. People were calling, you know. It went from the street, you know what I mean, to maybe somebody who was working uh, as an intern in a label to the A&Rs at the label seeing it. And I knew that's what we needed to do in order to break this artist, you know what I mean? I was with him for five years already. I knew what he could do, but it's like, how do you translate that to these people? And the best way is by everybody else telling you. Because A&Rs, most A&Rs are not A&Rs of the past. A&Rs of the past really helped you develop your talent yeah. and coached you into what you need to do. Now these dudes is just, they find it at street level. Oh, everybody's saying he's hot, he's hot. You know, by the time an artist gets to an A and R, everybody else already know he's hot. Mm-hmm. So very rarely does an A and R discover some talent. I'm not saying it doesn't never happen, but so we knew because we had a few meetings amongst those five years we working out, mm-hmm. and people, you know, even my boy Salam, I told Salam, man, this kid is talented, you know, and he helped us out a little bit, but nobody believed until you know the masses believed. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. That's that's the poster boy story. <laughs> well, um, and, 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 and my man, old man Wallen was man like Wallen. one of his first He's producers. He played he played Neek Neek Russia at the time. Yeah. He played an intricate role in helping him get his thoughts out and providing the tracks. Absolutely, you know what I mean. He played an intricate role. Like if that thing would have went right, you know, because I was a manager Neek at the time, we could have been big, man. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, things fell apart. He got cancer. Twice he beat the cancer. But, you know, that's, whew. Yeah. That you know, that's that's, a, that's another that's another topic. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? another topic. Yeah, because there's it's so many layers to that. Yeah. You know, but it definitely was a a, a, a pivotal a pivotal time. If yeah. I'm saying the word right. Yeah. Yeah. And I know from him not having children when I met him to having a child when I met him yeah. and the going through all the stuff, we always talked. You know, yeah. I always he always talked to me, you yeah. know, about that that kind of stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's you know, he fathered he fathered me, you know what I'm saying? And like, you know, in different ways and fathered, you know, poster in many different ways like that. Like how we how we was talking about with you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you just a father that father figure type, yeah. that older brother type, mm-hmm. that older uncle type. That OG, you know what I'm saying, which most of these kids need, mm-hmm. you know, to keep I right, keep straight out here. Mm-hmm. It's not enough of that. You got thugs raising thugs, and, you know. No, don't mean to throw you know thugs under the bus, but you know it's it's too many young brothers out here doing wild shit. It, Excuse my friend. That's a, right? just a smooth way of saying mentorship. Yeah, yeah. And and you know that's what we need, mentorship. And and I was also told whatever it is that you're interested in your interests are, you know, you can have multiple mentors, but if you're going to buy a house, you need a mentor. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? If you want to be in the music industry, you need a mentor. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you might need different mentors in different parts of your life depending on what you want to do. If you're going to be a father, you need a mentor, whether it's your dad, your uncle, your granddad. Or the show. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And it's true, you know, so... This is yeah. That's why I said this is an excellent show because mentors kids and apprenticeships are, are what what I think what I think society is built on. And I do want to say one last thing before I forget. Uh, in light of Father's Day, uh, I just want all the dads out there to remember that our children learn the most from us in the moments we in the random moments when we are not even trying to teach them. 
So lead uh, by example, be good men, and be a good examples uh, for, your, for your cheering. You're cheering. Yeah. Yo, and we're parting right. off with that. All right. Yo, come on. Right. My you, man, bro. that was amazing. Thank you, bro. Oh, you Appreciate man. it, man. I really Thank do. You. Thank you. Damn, man. That right. was awesome. Yo, right. 36 Chambers of Fatherhood, we out. Bro. 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 Listen to the kids. Listen to the kids. Bro. Bro.